0: So, I have this question, and it's not to raise your hands, okay? So, listen to me. Hold them down. Just take a hold of your hand. Keep it down, because I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and I don't want to know the answer publicly. You can tell me privately if you want to, but have you ever been hurt, hurt by the abuse of authority? See, no hands. I saw you try. Don't do it. Have you ever been hurt by the abuse of authority? Whether, you know, it was um, a a father or a, a principal, a teacher, a boss, a manager. Have you ever felt the abuse of authority? But then here's question number two. Have you ever misused or abused your authority? Have you ever done that? Now, I know some of you are downright guilty. Because if you were ever a hall monitor at school, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, all those people that were your friends, all of a sudden you're writing tickets to them. Like, I don't care. That looked like a run to me. No, it was a skip. I don't care. Looked like a run. Take this. This is your demerit. I remember. I thought you were my friend. But hall monitors, a little bit of power, that badge, and there they were taking authority, abusing the authority. In fact, they became the Gestapo of the school hallway. But if I'm honest, I've misused my authority before. I've I've misused it either by the absence over overcompensation of authority. I hesitate so often to use my God-given authority whether it's to teach or to exhort or to correct, because I'm so worried that I'll alienate a friend. I'm so worried that I'll feel disconnected, that somehow my position will change, and I'll be over someone instead of with someone, or that I'll be resented. I remember years ago, being in Vista, and all these people coming to me saying, Cheryl, you need to exercise your God-given authority, and you need to talk to this leader. And the last thing I wanted to do was to, to talk to her. Her husband came to me. Will you please talk to my wife? And I'm like, no. You know, not unless she comes to me and asks for it. I had women in the church. Will you please talk to our friend? No. Um, my husband said, I think you ought to. No. I just didn't want to deal with it. I I I thought, you know, God, you work. You're the authority. You work. Finally, she called me and said, I think we need to talk. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Because that was my fleece. Lord, if she calls me, then I will talk to her. Then I will do it. But I remember as I was praying about this and as she called and said, can we get together? Can we talk? And I remember just my apprehension about doing it. And I was reading through a book. And let me just say, if you don't want to be convicted, never want to be convicted, then do not pick up the book If by Amy Carmichael. Just don't do it. Stay away. It's on the shelf. Don't buy it. Don't look at it. Don't open its pages because you will be convicted over and over again. It'll be ow, 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 ow. It's kind of like listening to Pastor Romaine's studies. If you remember Romaine, they were always an ouch, but I picked it up and this is what I read. If I am afraid to speak the truth, lest I lose affection, or lest the one concerned should say, You do not understand, or because I fear to lose my reputation for kindness, if I put my own good name before the other's highest good, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Isn't that an ouch? If I, if I, Resist telling you what you need to know, where you're getting slightly off, because I want you to think of me as kind and and loving. I don't want to alienate you in any way, so I keep the truth from you. Then I know nothing of Calvary love. Leaders are to exercise authority, and they can in the same way that Jesus did for the health of the individual and the health of the church and the whole community. If they do it for love, in love, and by love, they can actually bring health to that individual and health to the whole body of Christ. So Paul begins his epistle to Timothy by citing the source of authority, the need for authority, and the spirit in which authority is to be exercised, the place where Timothy needed to exercise his authority, the purpose or objective for using his authority, and finally, by pointing to the good purposes and authority of the Mosaic law. So Paul begins his epistle to Timothy Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Now, Paul, Paul was known to Timothy. Remember, he says, you're my true son in the faith. They had a relationship. Timothy knew Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony is something that he shared almost every place that he spoke. So Timothy knew that Paul was an apostle by the will of God, by the commandment of God. He knew this. So why does Paul introduce himself in this manner? He doesn't do it for the sake of authority. It's not authority for authority's sake. Look who I am. It's not about the office that Paul sought for himself. Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, I do what I do by the commandment of God and by the will of Jesus Christ. This is why I'm here. This is why I do what I do. You know, a lot of people don't realize um, I am 99.9% introvert. I am so shy that I spent the majority of my childhood just holding on to my father or hiding behind my father. That was like my favorite place to be. And when I teach, it's about death to self. It's not about, like, let me at those women. It's like, oh, God, do I have to do that again? I do it. I do it for your health. I do it out of self-sacrifice because this place right here is the most uncomfortable place for me to be in the whole wide world. In fact, Brian's always pushing me. You have a gift. It's given to you by God. Exercise it. And I'm like, how about if I just write books and I just write in the books every message that I wish that I want someone else to give? I remember one time asking a woman to speak for me. She said, but I don't have a the gift. I said, I'll write out the whole message that God has given me. You just have to get up in my place and do it. She did. She's like, that was so good. It went really well. I'm like, you want to do it next week? She said, no. You see, we do what we do. We exercise our authority because it's given to us by the commandment of God, by the will of God, not because it makes us feel so good. Not because we get a high from it. Not because we want to be the authority over people. But we want to bring, well, I'm getting beyond myself. So Paul begins that he is by the commandment or the ordination, the will, the degree of God. Paul is an apostle, a sent one, a representative of Jesus Christ. His mission is to lead people to the salvation that is available to us all of us, through Christ Jesus, who is our Lord, our sovereign, our leader, our hope, the reason that we are right with God, our connection. His authority is from God for the purposes of God in order to see people in alignment with God through Jesus Christ, to see them preserved, kept for God. In other words... Our authority, and I'm talking to leaders here, all of you are leaders, our authority is not for our own sake or advancement, but the authority we have been given is for the purposes of God. It's for how he wants to use each of us in the church and in the lives of others. Paul did not receive his authority to be superior to everyone or to have the right to boss everybody around or to secure himself, but to represent the Lord and help the people of God to be right with God through Christ. So he writes to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, Paul is reminding Timothy of his authority, of his call as a son Timothy carries the same authority by faith in Jesus Christ that a father has. Timothy needs to exercise that authority by grace, mercy, and peace. So these gifts from God are not only how Timothy will exercise his authority, but what Timothy needs to feel to know personally before he can give them to others. I must know the grace of God. I must know who I am without Jesus Christ. I've had those moments in my Christian relationship where I just feel God turn and I feel so alone that I'm like, no, 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 don't leave me, don't do that again. Um, you've all heard the story, or I've told you the story about being in Vista. Um, I'm going to do a conference on grace, and I was having such a good week. I was just like being so loving to my kids, such a great mom week. I was packing everybody's bag because we were going to England where I would spend um, speak about the Lord and just minister to so many people. I mean, I was having such an anointed week. I was feeling pretty good. And I was going to go tell everybody else how they needed grace until my daughter came in with her head shaved. And when I saw that bald girl who had golden locks of hair before that moment, I fell apart. I screamed. I yelled. I threw the laundry in the air. I dumped out every suitcase I had packed and threw it over this staircase. I ran into my bedroom, locked the door because I knew I wasn't safe, but I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I'm like, oh God, how can this be me? How can I be doing these things? Remember yesterday I was in a blessed place. Look at me today. Who are you? I mean, I even looked in the mirror like, who are you? I mean, I, I knew this was not who I was. I'm telling God, this is not me. God's like, oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's you, it's you, it's you. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not me, it's not me. Brian comes in. because goes, what is your problem? And I'm like,
1: you do think I
0: have a problem? You know? I'm going for the jugular, like, I know where your neck is. It was, he just leaves. And I heard him outside in the hallway saying to the kids, she's not safe right now. I don't know what's going on with your mother, but she's not safe. And I wasn't. I was not safe. I even took a bath. Like, I'm going to be cleansed. It's going to be a ritual. I'm going to be so much nicer. But Brian came back in, and he decided to say something else to me. I baptized him. I literally threw as much water as I could out. I mean, I was gone. I got out of the bath again. I said, Lord, this is not me. I don't know who I am. Brian came in and said, you're going to teach tomorrow on grace. And I'm like, no. And I tore up my notes in front of him. He's just like, you've got something going on. So I locked the door again. I went on my knees and I said, God, what is going on with me? I think God wanted me to tear up those notes because God said, Cheryl, this is you without grace. This is you. This is the real you without grace. Now, I want you to write a new lesson, and I'll tell you what to say. And when I went the next day, I was a humble little pastor's wife, saying, you know what? Without grace, I'm a monster, and that's why I need grace. But I believe you're monsters too without the grace of God. You know, we need to feel it because we're not giving each other that grace lately. And you know where there's no grace? Grace. Facebook. Seriously. It's like <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I don't even post. I, I don't even post. I've I like even stopped doing Instagrams. Like except for the puppy one. Because I don't know what people are gonna do anymore. We have forgotten who we are without the grace of God. We've gotten so used to being in grace that we start thinking we deserve it. <laughs> But the whole issue of grace is you don't deserve it. And neither do they and they and they and they and they. No one deserves the grace. No one. That's why grace is grace. Because it's undeserved. We need to feel the mercy again. Oh, my goodness, I've been forgiven. Because we've stopped forgiving. And we've stopped showing that forgiveness of God to people. We're like, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're out. You know? We have become the cancel culture, not just out there in the toxic environment, but in the church. We need to know mercy. We need to start extending mercy. We need to remember how much mercy that we have been given and we are forgiven. We need to remember peace, shalom, that it's about putting people and reconciling people to God on the absence of anxiety in our life, is not because we're so together, but we're so connected to Jesus Christ. This is what we have been given. But we haven't been given just to say, it like, yeah, I've got grace, I've got mercy. I've got peace. Too bad. I'm so sorry for you. It was God's gift to me. <laughs> or I've got a little bit more mercy and peace than you do. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's not for comparative purposes. We have been given these things to use and give to others. This is the environment that we are to live in and where we are to exercise and how we're to exercise our authority. Not only is Timothy to exercise his authority in this way, but they're to be so resident in him, always at the forefront of everything he does. He must receive these for himself from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. There must be a constant connectedness to God so that the exercise of authority comes from the grace, mercy, and shalom that God and Christ are pouring into Timothy regularly, daily. Now moving on to verses three and four, this is the where and how Timothy is to exercise his authority. Paul intentionally left Timothy, in Ephesus, to exercise authority. When we get to the book of Titus, Paul is saying, I left you in Crete to exercise authority. How? By raising up godly leadership. But Paul says to Timothy, I left you there because I want you to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. I want you to get people off of all these distractions and ways they're going. I want you to tell people it's not about masks or no masks. It's not about the vaccinated or the non-vaccinated. It's not about the Trumpers or the Bidens or the Newsoms or the Gruesoms. It's not about any of that. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. I want you to bring them back to Jesus. I want you to put them on the path of Jesus. You know what? We're in a hot air balloon that's been pierced, and we're going down. And we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so Paul says, I want you to bring these people back to Jesus. It's important to remember that these people came straight out of the occult and paganism, and there were still residual ways and concepts and ideas that needed to be corrected. Timothy was not just to let these people do whatever felt natural. He was to lead them in the ways that were supernatural. And so he had to bring them back to the way of Jesus. Now, some people were telling fables. They were making up stories about Jesus to make Jesus more attractive. Yes, they were making up stories about, I was healed yesterday, when they really weren't. That's what the Apocrypha is. It was made up stories about Jesus. They were claiming to hear things from from apostles and people and getting new understandings that they didn't have. When I was in junior high, and it was the hippie time, I've told you this story before, but they took us to Palm Springs, dropped us off, and they said, witness. Now, the only like experience I had had with witnesses, witnesses, um, those are people that are witnessing, is when they would tell their testimony. I'm 12 years old. I was raised by Chuck and Kay Smith. They wouldn't even let me sin. Even if I wanted to, it couldn't have happened. I didn't have that kind of atmosphere. So you had to give your testimony. So I walked up to a group of of hippies. They were all on the ground, and I just walked up to them, and I said, you guys need Jesus. And they're like, what do you know about life? I'm like, a lot. (laughs) You know, you don't even want to know where I've been. It's dark. It's bad. Ugly. But then I met Jesus. And they're like, what'd you do? Like, pot. Because I was thinking, I've carried my mom's pots from place to place. I couldn't totally lie, you know. <laughs> wasn't allowed in my environment. So they're like, okay, what is a roach clip? I said, a roach clip? I said, it's the bug that bites you when you smoke too much pot. <laughs> Bill Welsh, who's now the pastor in Huntington Beach, he overheard me giving my pseudo-testimony. And he came up and he said he had good news for a modern man. He said, Cheryl, I've got a scripture for you for Romans. It says, if my lie helps somebody to come to Jesus, then should I lie and embellish my life? And I'm like, and then, no way. God forbid. He goes, Cheryl, read this out loud. I'm like, oh, oh. He goes, yeah. Don't make up your story. Tell the truth. Just tell them how good Jesus is. You don't need to make up a story. They were making up stories because they thought that would lead people to Jesus. Others were delving into genealogies. This has to do with speculative teachings or assumptions about the Old Testament. This testament, it's when you get into the Nephilim. Oh, I remember a time when everybody was into the Nephilim. Not only were they, you're like, who are the Nephilim? You don't need to know. But these are, okay, they were the giants, you know, that when the sons of God intermarried with the daughters of man, we don't really know what that means. But there's all this speculation that maybe these were the ancient Zeus and Aphrodite and uh, Artemis, all these different deities. There were others that were saying, no. There's still Nephilim around us. This is in the 70s. Like, there's still Nephilim. I think, I think you're a Nephilim. How do you know if you're not a Nephilim? I mean, it, it, but this kind of stuff was going on in Paul's time. He said, get them out of all this speculation. We've got the gospel. We, you know, as Moses said to the people of God, the things, the secret things belong to the Lord. There's a lot of things in the Bible we're not going to understand, okay? Like Nephilim. A lot of secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that have been revealed to us, like the gospel, this is ours. And this we can pass on to our kids. Get out of this speculation. So Paul was telling Timothy, charge them. Stop them from speculating and making up stories. The purpose for charging these people is to prevent disputes Comparisons and divisions and fights to prevent strain from the faith, to prevent worthless talk. Oh, we can get so easily preoccupied and involved with meaningless trivialities that don't amount to anything. We are too easily drawn away from the way of Jesus to the little tantalizing fruit that's all around us. We just are, aren't we? You know, Margaret, thank you very much, she'll say to me when I'm getting off, Squirrel, if you've ever seen the movie Up, you know what that means. In fact, if you say to my dog, if you walk in my house and you say to Barnabas, if he's bothering somebody who's coming in the door, I say, Squirrel, and his legs move too fast for him. He's got to get out the door and find that squirrel, and he starts patrolling the walls of my backyard. Well, they say a lot of dogs are like their owners. And I can be like, And I have to be brought back to the way of Jesus. This isn't just for you. This is for me. I need to remember to keep Jesus the main thing, the main purpose. This is why I do what I do. Jesus. This is the power of what I do. Jesus. This is the authority, what I do, Jesus. Keep Jesus at the center. Timothy is to charge them because of love, because you love these people, because you don't want them to miss out on the love that is theirs through Christ Jesus. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love, out of a pure heart, from a good conscience, from sincere Faith. The, the motives are pure. We're not doing this again for the sake of power, or the sake of authority, but out of love, out of pure motives, be, out of sincere faith, because I really do believe that Jesus is the best way. Because I know what happens when someone gets out of alignment with Jesus and how off they can get. One degree will lead to a whole different destination. These people want to be teachers of the law, some of these that are strained. They want to be authorities in the church. They want to be authorities over others, but they're doing it out of the wrong motives. They don't even understand the relationship of the law, of the commandment, that even the Mosaic law is all about love. You see... There are two extremes when it comes to the Mosaic Law, and we still use those two extremes. And one extreme is to say, oh, it's old covenant. It doesn't apply anymore. I remember talking to somebody, and they said, I want to have a reconciliation. I want a relationship with you. And they, they called it biblical reconciliation. I said, that's easy. We can do this. I just don't want you to lie anymore. Or slander. And you know what they said to me? Old Testament, Old Testament, we're allowed to lie in the New Testament. I said, No, we're not. Paul says, Do not lie one to another, seeing that we have put off the old man and his deeds. And he goes, Where? He really felt, this person really feels that by lying, it's kind of like the fables. By lying, he gets people to Jesus. The opposite of what Paul was saying. That's one extreme. The old covenant, we're under the new covenant, or it doesn't have any hold or application for the believer because we are under grace and not the law. Or some people say, oh, the law is bad, bad. It's mean. It just kills you. And all it does is show us how far away from God we were and our need of Jesus. Yes and no. The other extreme is to try to be righteous before God by the law. God, I have been good this week. No lying, no adultery, no fornication, no, you know, so let me in. I deserve it. I've been so good. Or to put our faith in the law. If I'm just obedient, if I'm just good enough, then I will be right with God. If I worship on the Sabbath and not on a Sunday like all those sinners, then I'll be right with God. Or to try to practice the rituals, the dietary laws, and festivals prescribed by the law. You know what that leads to? Leads to conceit, doesn't it? And I think I'm better than anybody else. And I begin to then judge everybody by the law. Both extremes are wrong. So what is our relationship to the law? Well, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, famously called the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that Jesus upheld the law and even intensified the law by taking it to the very heart, the very heart of what it means. That the law is not just to govern our actions, But our attitudes do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets, Matthew 5, 17 through 19. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so, shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying? Is he saying we're still under the law, that the law is the ultimate authority on our lives? Well, Jesus was accused of breaking the law. Remember, because he healed on the Sabbath. You read in, in Luke chapter 6 that when Jesus went in the synagogue, these men had set him up. They put a man in the synagogue with a withered hand because they knew that Jesus could not resist healing that man with a withered arm. And we're told that Jesus looked at the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawgivers with anger. And he asked them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill life? And They didn't answer him. Then he looked at the man with the withered hand and he said, stretch it out, and he did, and it was whole. And then those people who looked to the law to save them went out and they began to plot against Jesus to kill him. You see, the problem is they did not understand the spirit or purpose of the law. And that's what we do. We either dismiss it altogether or we become very rigid and try to live up to it. Sometimes even adding, like the Pharisees, commands to the law like your dresses have to be below your knees at all times. We add so many crazy laws to the law, don't we? But Paul writes to Timothy and says in verse 8 of chapter 1, the law is good. It's beneficial if one uses it lawfully. In other words, the law is good if we understand it and use it as it was Meant. You see, the law, the law is spiritual. And what the law was meant to do was to give life, to preserve life, to help with life. And that's why Jesus said the spirit of the law is to save. No matter what day of the week it is, the spirit of the law is to do good and to heal no matter when it is. In fact, at one point he goes back to the law and said if someone's ox falls into the ditch, is it lawful on the Sabbath to get that ox out of the ditch? Yes. In fact, if you did not help a neighbor's ox but walked right past it, that was an infraction of the law. The law was given to help men, to get men on the way of Yahweh and keep them in the way of Yahweh so they could be preserved, so they could have the best life on earth experience to keep away from sin. The law is a manual given for our good, but it's a manual there are some things with a manual that work and some things that don't. I bought a sewing machine on eBay, but it didn't come with the manual. And that sewing machine was no good to me without the manual. I didn't even know how to thread it. Have you ever misthreaded your sewing machine? Do you know what it does? It creates all these bumps. You have the ugliest seam you have ever, ever seen in your life. And I needed to know how do I thread this machine properly. Do you know what I had to do? I had to send away for a manual. I had to go on eBay again. And it's like, no wonder the sewing machine was cheap, because the manual was almost as much as the machine. Actually, I was able to download it on another site for free. But I downloaded the manual so I could just know how to thread. It tells me where to oil my machine. It tells me how to get the best use out of this sewing machine so I can preserve it, so I can keep sewing a straight seam, so I can have productivity with this machine. It's all about bringing out the best of my sewing machine, being able to have quilts that do not have oil spots, or fall apart because the bobbin wasn't catching that, whatever you call it. Some of you actually sew more than I do and know the names. I don't know the names. I just know the bobbin goes down, it catches, and it makes a scene. In the same way, a manual tells you what to do and what not to do to preserve the life of your car. My car manual tells me what to do when certain icons light up on my dashboard. Now, Brian thinks we're not under the law, so he likes to ignore those icons on the dashboard because he's free from the law, but he has a misunderstanding of the purpose of the manual. Not me. I'm always referring to my car manual. One day, I got in my car, and the back windshield wiper was going back and forth, right? There was no rain. And I was pressing every button possible to stop that thing. And it seemed to go faster. <laughs> and, and then it would stop for a while. I'd think, oh, God, thank you. I pushed the right button. And then all of a sudden, <whistles> and then, you know, I'd press another button. Wait 20 seconds. <whistles> <whistles> I just think I had it handled. Like, I know what to do. <whistles> 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 you know? I had to go to the manual. I had to look up back windshield wiper, how to turn off. And I finally got it. And then three weeks later, it happened again. And guess what? I had forgotten, totally forgotten how to turn off that back wiper. I had to go to the manual again. You know what? I keep that manual in the glove compartment of my car because I never know when I'm going to need it. I don't even know how to open the engine of my, like the hood of my car. I don't know. I just like my car because it's pretty. I don't know how to open the hood, but my manual tells me how to open the hood. I have to consult the manual. I have to go back to the manual over and over again. Now, my car is almost paid off, almost paid off. When I pay it off, do you think I can chuck the manual off and out the window because it's paid in full? You think I don't need that manual anymore just because it's paid off? Oh, no. I'm going to need that manual even more because by that time, it will be six years old, my car. And it will be lighting icons like Christmas trees. But on the other hand, the manual itself cannot save or preserve my car. If I don't follow the manual, it's not going to do any good for my car at all. You know, Just having a manual in the glove compartment doesn't mean I drive better. Does it mean that, you know, I automatically pull in for oil changes when it needs it? Nope. It's a manual. It's up to me. It has to do with my relationship to the manual. Because if I ignore what it says and just think I can do better off and I can interpret those little icons any way I want. No, that little thing that looks like an airplane is telling me I'm doing such a good job driving. I just think of those as encouragements. Keep going, Cheryl, without oil. The manual tells me how to use my car properly, how to help it last, and how to get the best drive out of it so that I can make it to every destination that I intended. So the law is a manual for shalom or to stay in the way of Yahweh. It's how to live in the way of the Lord as the Lord intended it. That's the law. What is our relationship as Christians to the law? It's a manual. But let me say this. We don't have that same model of car. Okay? So some things work for our model of car. We've got the, what's called the New Kingdom car, Right? And in the new kingdom car, we can eat bacon. But in the old kingdom car, which was for Israel and their nationality, they could not eat bacon. So you've got to know what things apply to the etzel and what things apply to the osmobile. You've got to know the difference and use it as a manual. There's certain things that do not apply because Jesus is our sacrifice. So we have automatics and not manual gears. We don't use a crank to start up our cars. There's a difference because of what Jesus has done. We're in the new model. But the Ten Commandments and much of the law and the spirit of the law, we're still driving a car, still applies. Does that make sense? Okay, because I can't see your faces because I'm wearing contacts so only lets me read but not see far away. Sorry. Even Brian's blurry on Sundays. It's like, but he looks younger, so it's okay. That's why I think God lets your eyes like get bad when you get older. I'm wearing, like I said, contact lenses because we still look really good to each other. The law is meant to correct the lawless, the one without any standards, the insubordinate, the one doing their own thing, the ungodly, the one who needs to know the way of God, sinners to know what they are doing wrong, the unholy that they might learn the way of holiness, the profane that they might know the way of righteousness and holiness, murderers of mothers and fathers that they might know the way of blessing, of love and family. That's why the law says, children, obey your parents. For this is pleasing to the Lord and leads to long life. Manslayers, that they may learn the value of life. Fornicators, sodomites, that they might know the value and beauty of Yahweh's prescription of beauty and relationship. For kidnappers, that they might not steal people but seek to save people for liars that they might know and speak the truth, for perjurers that they might not slander but bless, and for anyone else who is not in alignment with the sound doctrine, the way of Jesus, the way of Yahweh. This is who the law is for, to bring them back into alignment with Yahweh. The law is meant to show the danger, and disaster of any way that is contrary to God's way, to point the way back or identify and help others to recognize the true righteousness that was displayed in Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived the law. He did the law exactly as it's supposed to be done. He is our example, This is how the law is lived out. We help whether it's the Sabbath or not the Sabbath. We minister. We seek to do good. We seek to save life. We seek to preserve life. We seek to live in the way of Yahweh. The law is not meant to harm, condemn, or kill, but preserve life. Men are already condemned, and the law is meant to show them The condemnation and the why of the condemnation, like the icons on the dashboard of your car saying, you're going to break down. Any moment, you're going to break down unless you get this fixed. That's what the law is for. It is meant to tell you to get the car into the mechanic and get it repaired before the transmission blows up. That's what the law is meant to do. The law ultimately is meant to lead us to Jesus who lived the way of Yahweh and walks in the way of Yahweh. He fulfills the law and the commands and the rituals so that when we come into Christ, we walk in the way of Yahweh. We're pleasing to God. We've got that connectedness. As Paul says, the ultimate goal of authority and the law is to point to the glorious gospel. The glorious gospel of the blessed God or the good news that we are no longer condemned by the law. See, this is what happened because of sin. The law, instead of being a manual to help us because we weren't obeying it, became the voidance of our warranty, right? Like, your warranty is only good if you follow the manual. Then you've got the warranty on your car. But if you don't do the oil checks, if you don't do the oil, your warranty even if it's a 10-year warranty, even if it's a 20-year warranty, becomes null and void because you did not put the oil in the car. Have you ever had something that's under warranty and the people that came over did their best to tell you why it wasn't under, you know, that you must have done something to keep it from warranty? Have you ever had that? My house, when we bought it, it fell out of escrow. 20 years ago, it came with a vacuum that's like in the walls, you know, but it's never worked. Like, it's stronger than that vacuum. Just, I can, I can like blow in. I don't think you blow in. I can like inhale. I knew there was a word for it. Stronger than that vacuum can. So I called them because it's under warranty. The guy who came is like, What'd you do to it? I'm like, I've lived here two weeks. I didn't do anything. I tried to use it. Oh, you tried to use it? With what? With the hoses that came with it. Which one? I'm showing him which. Mm. Then I hear him on the phone. This lady's just expecting too much of a vacuum, man. Mm-mm-mm-mm. She says, I think you need like a, a new you, you want You want power. You need like a new vacuum. Yeah. We've got one for you for $1,000. We can upgrade this baby and get you... I'm like, no. I want this vacuum that came with the house. Let me see your warranty. Let me see your house warranty. I'm not sure this vacuum came with the house. Then, I, then he had to go outside, smoke a cigarette, come back in, tell me all the things I had done wrong with my vacuum. You know, I was so angry, I sent him away and never, ever checked up on that warranty. You know what happened? We'd never gotten the vacuum fixed. When they were building our house somebody put a hole through one of the hoses in the vacuum. So it's never worked. I don't know why I keep all the paraphernalia for that vacuum because it's huge. I keep it in this loft in the garage. Like, and, and they told me, we had a guy who was reputable after the warranty was no good, come in and say, to fix this vacuum, we'd have to x-ray all your walls and find out where the hole is. He said, that's why they didn't want to do it. It's too expensive. Okay, all that to say, if you don't follow the instructions, the warranty becomes null and void. Sorry about that. It's my vacuum. It's my problem, not yours. You're still under warranty. But, you know, if you don't follow the manual, you can't expect the blessings. You can't expect to stay under the warranty. And that's what happened. Because the people of Israel had violated the covenant over and over again, the warranty was no longer good. So that which was meant to give them life and hope and preserve them actually became the condemnation. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6. That which was meant for my good then became my condemnation because I had violated the covenant. And therefore, the warranty was null and void, and the law became my condemnation. And then Jesus came and fulfilled the law and lived under the law and fulfilled it perfectly, keeping every jot and tittle of the law, and then was condemned for our sins on the cross. The innocent, cursed for our offenses. And what happened? The result was that all the penalties, all the broken parts of the law were forgiven, were forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ as if we had lived the righteous life of Jesus Christ. And we received the warranty, not the old warranty, but a brand new warranty with a new manual that says stay in Christ and walk the way of Yahweh. That is a glorious gospel. So do we want to leave the way of Jesus for something else, for the law, or for some tantalizing little morsel outside? No, I just keep seeing this aisle as the way of Yahweh. I want to stay on the way of Yahweh. I want to follow Jesus because he is always walking in the way of Yahweh. And if I keep my eyes on Jesus, guess what? I'm in the way of Yahweh. If I just keep my eyes on, the, on, on Jesus, I don't have to worry, like, am I going to stray Am I going to get off? Am I going to become a liar or a perjurer or unrighteous? No. Keep your eyes on Jesus. This is the glorious gospel. This is the basis for Paul's authority. The God who loves the world so much, who was compelled to save mankind. The God who blesses and the source of all blessing has sent his only son to be the payment for our sins so he can bring us back into a covenant relationship with him whereby we become his daughters. Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I don't want something other than this gospel. I want this gospel. C.S. Lewis said this, It is not that man wants too much. It is that they settle for too little. The gospel is so much. It's so good, so big. And Paul said, It's been committed to my trust. This is why I do what I do. This is the purpose of my authority, to get people back to following Jesus, to get them back in the way of Yahweh so they don't get off, so they don't lose it, so they don't become alienated, so their transmission doesn't break down, so they don't thread their machine the wrong way and can't make any clothes or quilts or anything. It's to get them back. Back in the way of Yahweh. Timothy, use your authority. Use it by grace. Use it by mercy. Use it to bring people back. Back. To bring the unlawful, the insubordinate, the ungodly, the sinner, the unholy, the profane, the murderers, the disrespectful, the fornicators, the sodomites, the kidnappers, the liars, the perjurers. Bring them back. Bring them in. Remind them that they can be not only saved but transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That their very mindset and hearts can be changed. The gospel is glorious and transformative. Therefore, Timothy is to exercise his God-given authority by means of God's grace, mercy, and shalom to bring back those Ephesians in that church from the lesser things of myths and speculations and idle talk in order to preserve them in love and bring them to the fullness of the gospel that they might be a productive church in Jesus Christ. But in the same way, God has given us each some authority. What are you using your authority for? How are you using your authority? Where are you using your authority? God has put you in this place and this time 2021, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your family, in your arena of influence, to use your authority to bring people back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bring them back. Now, some of you know that Brian and I are in trouble every other day. We're in trouble if we wear a mask. We're in trouble if we don't wear a mask. We're in trouble because we got the Johnson & Johnson vaccination. I've actually had friends unfriend me because I'm vaccinated. I I mean, we're in such a cancel culture, right? I've lost friends. Through COVID, I've lost friends. I've lost friends because of some of the convictions of my heart about the political system. I've lost friends. We have lost sight of the main thing. Brian and I are trying our best to keep our eyes on Jesus and follow Jesus without veering from Jesus. We are loving the liberals and the conservatives alike. We are seeking the way of Jesus. That's what we want more than anything else. We want to lead people back to Jesus and in Jesus. In the 1960s, people realized that there was no hope in government. It was Nixon, who was a conservative, that was doing the draft, that was sending young men who were totally ill-equipped and ill-prepared to Vietnam to fight a war that there was no possibility of winning. It was the 1960s that... People were doing drugs, and women were becoming liberated and showing it in weird ways. It was the 1960s, and it's when we as people begin to give up on society, give up on government, give up on the world, give up on the world's solutions, and we look to a greater and better solution, and we found Jesus. We found Jesus. Jesus. And nothing else mattered. Nothing else was worth it. Just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what we wanted. But somehow we think, because of where we're at now, that there might be another way. I'm telling you, we're in a burning house. We need the rapture. Not as an escape, and before the rapture happens, we need to get as many people into Jesus Christ and under His wings of refuge. God has given us authority to bring people back to Jesus, bring them to Jesus, bring them to His call. You are, an... you have been entrusted with the gospel, the glorious gospel. Our commission is to receive his grace, mercy, and shalom. Galatians 6.1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Know that you can be tempted. You're not above it. Bring them back. Bring back the sinners to the way of Yahweh. Bring back the misinformed, the misguided, bring them back to the way of Jesus. It's all right if those things are outside the church. We can vote according to our conscience and what is best, what we feel is best for this nation, and we should. I'm all for voting. But the most important thing is the way of Jesus, the glorious gospel. You know, you can give people a recipe for banana cake and they can still go to hell. You know, you can give them great advice, you can give them recipes, but nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to save them. You can tell people off on the internet, but you're not saving them. We've got to bring people back to Jesus Christ. Authority for the purpose of bringing others to the fullness of the gospel. We don't want anyone to miss out on all the transformative power, goodness, or glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have been left in 2021. You are living today for the purpose of exercising your God-given authority to bring people back to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. This is your priority. This is the reason for your authority. This is the reason for your voice. Bring people back to the way of Jesus Christ. Father, even as Timothy was scared He was frightened to exercise his authority. And Father, we know there's a fallout when we say Jesus is the way, the way, the truth, the life. We live in a hostile environment, even as Timothy lived in a hostile environment. We live in a place where people want to listen to fables and speculate on genealogies and find hope in other places. But Father, we pray that you would center our hope on Jesus Christ. And in that hope and on that hope of the gospel, this entrustment that we have, that we would lead people to Jesus Christ and Him alone as Savior, as King, as Sovereign, as the sufficiency of our need and every need. Father, we pray by the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel that we have received, that you would help us as your people to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that we may allow all these other things to be secondary issues in our life. We pray these things according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who shed his own blood for our sins, that we might be placed in a covenant and relationship with God as our Father. Amen.